After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. The first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs are just about coming to a close. We'll have the opportunity to kind of catch our breath, get set for round number two. Josh, you know, as as teams are eliminated, I like the the traditions, the handshakes and the like, but I'm pretty sure that as we move to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, there won't be a media availability by Stephen Walcombe to discuss those referees that are not moving forward, and he's not going to go full Rick bonus on anyone <laughs> for not putting out the effort. Oh, no, these, these guys are putting out the effort. These guys are skating hard every night. They might not be making the calls you want or the calls you think they should have made or maybe some of the ones they made you thought they shouldn't have. But they're they're putting out the effort. They're giving 100 percent out there. Unlike bonus, I don't think Wacom's going to call these guys out. No, they've given a full effort and congratulations to all for a, a solid season so far. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow all the social channels. You get Josh on Twitter and on Instagram at Scouting the Refs. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports, again, on Twitter and on Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, Sam Lafferty and Matthew Kachuk pay the price. Working the refs, gamesmanship, high stick or no high stick, when the whistle blows, and here's my favorite. Everyone is 100% happy with officiating this year, don't you think, Josh? I'm sorry, I just I think I just choked for a moment there. I, I must have blacked <laughs> out. <laughs> what happened? Well, it, it seems like... Every year during the first round of the postseason, there's a discussion of officiating. There's lots of controversy, whether legitimate or manufactured by some. But our best pal Joshua here was quoted extensively in a piece by Greg Wyshynski on the ESPN website about what's happening with officiating, the outrage, the nonsense, in some cases, vitriol that's getting spewed. I thought you made some very good observations. I thought they were rational. I thought they were well thought out. I'm not sure anything is going to change moving forward, and we're not going to end up doing the same dance a year from now. But I, I think there are things that we can do to to make officiating better. I'm just not sure which direction we go first, Josh. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. And it's one that I think Greg was looking to try to tackle or at least consider and, and throw some things out there because everybody wants better calls in the playoffs. Everybody wants to feel like the right calls are being made and Every goal is important. Every play is important. Every penalty is important. I mean, look, power plays are up over 25%. So each penalty is critical and we're getting more penalties. So we get more power plays. Each call is so important in the postseason. Each goal means so much that I think that's why the focus is really there. If you had a chance to look at the article, a bunch of good thoughts in there for me, some from Dave Jackson, some from Greg. I'm looking more towards the tech solutions that we have with Puck tracking, I think there's some opportunity there without totally overhauling officiating. Or you can go with Greg's suggestion and review every penalty in overtime in the postseason and uh, see where that gets you. 
Yeah, I'm not sure, as he said, he's going to fix officiating by making mandatory every penalty and overtime reviewable because it's it's still a judgment call. So I, I kind of looked at the article and I've read a bunch of stuff and thought of this a little bit. It seems like there's some that view that there are too many calls. Some say there are too few calls. And of course, there are going to be missed penalties and that's going to happen. So I'm going to approach this from a different angle. We're always going to have missed penalties. How do you reduce that number? You want to get the consistency that everybody's asking for. And I really think that part of the problem is getting an agreement on what is and what isn't a penalty. We hear the cliche, oh, I don't know what's a penalty anymore. Well, part of that is not understanding all of the rules. And it's not a light switch on or light switch off kind of thing. If the puck goes over the glass and it doesn't touch anything, then it is an automatic penalty. So we need to try to, I think, align everyone's expectations. And that's players, that's coaches, and most importantly, fans. Honestly, I think the big step needs to be taken by the NHL. They've got to be better because how referees make the calls come from the direction of the league and from player safety. So everybody's got to get on the same page as to what kind of calls are going to be made whether it's tougher suspensions, whether it's crackdowns on specific fences. And here's the thing. The NHL has got to better educate everyone in this regard. I mean, the posts on the website now of reviews and how little information is forthcoming is not helpful. They need to be the ones to explain and help everyone understand where the discipline comes from in terms of penalty calls. You've got to do a better job there to illustrate the rules and not just putting a little cut and paste line from the rule book to say this applies, so move along. I think that's where the first step needs to come from. Absolutely. You can't just say there was no goaltender interference on the play. If we saw contact, tell us why there wasn't. Tell us that a defending player shoved the guy in. Tell us that it happened outside of the crease so it wasn't significant enough to disallow the goal. It was incidental contact. Explain why there was no goaltender interference because when people see that the player and the goaltender had contact, They need to understand what it is. So I think those explanations and and growing that understanding of what goes behind the calls. And that's what we do at Scouting the Refs. That's what Dave Jackson is trying to do at ESPN. That's what the other rules analysts out on TNT and other stations are, are trying to accomplish by explaining and providing that additional color, additional background, especially. And I I love that you said getting everybody on the same page, Todd, because Mm -hmm. especially when the rule book needs such an overhaul when it comes to how it's written that that these are key because the rules themselves are not always clear and and often contradictory in understanding how things work, what's applied when, what circumstances does this happen, and then all that gray area in between. So I think, yeah, fix the rule book, but certainly, even if you fix the rule book, you need to explain these decisions. I think that would go a long way. And I don't need a post-game presser from the officials, but we do need something from the league to just pull the curtain back or explain a little bit more as to why a decision was made. It would go so far in easing folks' frustration. They may not agree, but at least you could hope they would understand. Exactly. You might build a little more consensus that way. Okay, let's dive into some of the things that have taken place over the previous week. We had Venmo requests go out to Sam Lafferty (laughs) of the Maple Leafs for $3,100 for cross-checking Ross Colton of the Lightning and the Panthers' Matthew Kachuk 
$5,000 for cross-checking Boston's Garnet Hathaway. Both players got their money's worth, and I'm surprised that there wasn't something a little more severe with Kachuk. That was a nasty cross-check. Yeah, it was nasty. It was after the end of the period. So when you've got those that are away from hockey, there's nothing going on here. I'd like to see it a little bit more severe. You, you've got a whistle. You've got a period ending. There's no hockey play here. There's no puck that's in play. So I, I wouldn't have minded seeing a game. I know Panthers fans would have been frustrated about it, but this is the kind of thing that you need to ramp that up to get this out of the game. Otherwise, these cross checks will continue. Frustrated, I think, puts it mildly for Panther fans if they, if they had actually <laughs> suspended sure. Chuck for that. Yeah. Okay. Now, th there's one that got a lot of attention. There's a little controversy and misunderstanding, I think, quite frankly. In the Oilers and Kings series, game number three and overtime, um, it certainly holds the record for the longest review in the playoffs this year. I'm not sure of all time, but it's pretty close. Uh, the puck flipped up in the air. It appeared to touch the stick of L.A. Kings forward Gabe Velarde before Trevor Moore scored the game-winning goal in overtime. The video was deemed to be inconclusive and thus the goal stood josh I, I i don't know i watched a lot of video and if you want me to believe and others to believe it's inconclusive this this is what i was talking about before you've got to provide a better explanation and illustrate how you came to that conclusion because it looks very convincing to me that this should have been blown dead and the goal not counted. Yeah, it looked like it made contact to me as well. I mean, I feel like it's the Zapruder film here. We're breaking down every angle. There's a cell phone video online. I don't know if it was a cell phone of the guy's TV, but they showed different reverse angle at one point. It looks like the puck is rotating. It makes contact with the blade of the stick enough for the toe of the blade to move up just slightly and the rotation of the puck to change as well. That's what I'm seeing on this play. But I know from the league offices, they're looking for something that they can say is 100% absolute certainty because they need that to overturn the call on the ice. So I think that's where it needs to be 100% conclusive. Could I say 100%? I, I'm almost there. I, I really, there, there would be very few situations. We're not looking at a parallax angle where the puck looks like it's over the line and it's not. It looks like it makes contact, but without that, angle from the side or, or directly overhead. I think the league just couldn't get to 100%. I think, Todd, we need to borrow a page of legalese and just say reasonable doubt that there's a there chance that the puck didn't touch the stick. And because of that, we have to defer to the call on the ice. I get it. I wish they'd explained it better. And it doesn't make anybody feel better. But I, I think that's where they landed was we can't say with 100% certainty there's reasonable doubt. We have to go with the official's call. Well, if I was on the jury in the situation room, we would have had a hung jury because my <laughs> vote would have been to convict and say, yes, there was a high stick and that goal should not have counted. And and this is the difficulty. So, again, explain then why you got to to this decision. That's all I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think to explain it from the perspective that fans understand, we're looking to find any evidence that the puck did touch the high stick, where in some situations we're looking for any evidence that it didn't, depending on what the review is for. So you have to remember it's all colored by what the call on the ice is. So in this case, it was trying to see and determine definitively was there contact. But I was with you, Todd. I thought for sure it would be overturned. I thought it was pretty clear that the puck hit the stick, but the league offices felt differently. My view from the grassy knoll was different. That's all I'll say about that. Okay, Kevin Fiala of the LA Kings was also called for a tripping penalty against the Oilers' Leon Dreisaitl that got a lot of attention and commentary. I don't think it was 
this blatant miss that many have suggested, a stick between the legs kind of indicates tripping, doesn't it? I had no problem with this call. The stick's there. Dreisaitl's leg goes up. He's got possession of the puck, so he's eligible to be checked on the play, but his legs get taken out and he goes down. Even if it's incidental, even if it's unintentional, it's a tripping call. I didn't understand, other than just the the heat being up because it's a penalty in the playoffs, didn't understand the controversy on this one. Okay, so I'll give you a couple of other calls that you may have noticed over the past week. Two involving Marcus Foligno of the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. One for interference, one for tripping. Um, would you say one or both of these were at least questionable? Remember when I said I didn't understand the controversy on that last penalty? <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand the penalties on these penalties. <laughs> I was a little baffled by both, honestly. The first one, which was the interference call on Hockenpah, he had just moved the puck, so he was eligible to be checked and looked like a perfectly legal hit. The second one, which was the tripping call, he's trying to line up the Dallas player for the hit. It looks like he misses. We've got to move to try to get out of the way there. They clip skates. To me, incidental contact. I think Felino got the worst of it going down hard. Of course, the Dallas player does fall to the ice as well. They call a trip on the play to me. It was intended to be a legal body check that we had some incidental contact. Both players go down. Felino was uh, not measured in his post-game comments. He was pretty clear on what he thought of it. And I, I can absolutely appreciate where he's coming from. Yeah, he he expressed his frustration quite clearly, and I don't think there was any misunderstanding there. And of course, what happens in the next game is Marcus Foligno, of course, draws the attention of everyone almost immediately for getting himself a kneeing penalty on Dallas Stars forward Radic Faxa, called a major and a game. They reviewed it. They looked at it. They said, yep, OK, we're good with this call. I thought there was a very good explanation from the TNT crew and referee analyst Brad Meyer between periods. Uh, honestly, I was okay with this call. I know some thought it could be reduced to a minor penalty. I guess I could have lived with that, but I, I thought it was okay that he got five in a game here. Yeah, I think Meyer summed it up nicely looking at where the contact took place. You have clear leg-on-leg -leg contact, and yes, Felino didn't go out of his way. He didn't stick his knee out. And the rule itself for kneeing does specify that the player's leading with his knee and in some cases extending his leg outward to make contact with his opponent. That's by the letter of the law. What we've seen from the NHL is that kneeing is typically a situation where you have that leg-on-leg -leg contact. And in some cases, the player sticks his leg out. In others, he's positioning his body or taking a wide stance where that happens. So because of the contact, because of how it took place, I think the major was warranted. I also see that player safety opted not to leverage any supplemental discipline. So it looks like we're all on the same page here that this was enough to justify the major penalty, but not anything more. Had it been intentional, had it been an intent to injure, I think we would have been looking at a more severe penalty and certainly a follow up from player safety. They opted not to do it. So it looks like this is all he deserved. And I feel like it's more than a minor. Even if he didn't mean to do it, you, you want to make sure players are responsible when it comes to those knee on knee or leg on leg situations. I agree. Accidental or not, there should be a significant punishment here. And there was another game with a check that got the attention of the Department of Player Safety that we can discuss as well. That, of course, involves Kale McCarr and his hit on Jared McCann of the Seattle Kraken. McCarr was originally assessed a major penalty. It was reviewed and dropped to a minor penalty. Department of Player Safety had a request for a Zoom meeting with McCarr and suspended him for one game. So couple things here. 
I cannot believe that this was reduced to a minor penalty. And again, I would like a greater explanation of that. I'm not asking for the referees to answer questions in a media scrum after the game. I don't think that would would help anything, but a greater explanation of the reasoning as to how. And of course, there's some that are comparing, well, one game for McCarr, but three games for Michael Bunting. Different offenses, different things. But again, a little clarification might help. Yeah, different situations entirely. But I think when you look at this play, from what my understanding was, is that the officials looked at it as, yes, the puck was out of play, but McCarr and McCann may not have been aware that the puck was out of play. So they were treating it as if it was still a game situation, which I think shifted it from their eyes from the major penalty for a hit after the play to a minor penalty for a hit that took place during the play there. Obviously, the, the puck was out of play. It's an interference call. And the difference between a major and a minor comes down to the degree of violence. I don't know, Todd. I was I still thought that even if the puck hadn't gone out of play, it's now nowhere near either player. You've got a situation where McCann's not expecting the hit, not expecting any body contact, not eligible to be checked. I expected that major penalty to stand. I was really surprised that they reduced it. And I guess I, does that play the, the the story is that Department of Player Safety doesn't pay attention necessarily to the ruling on the ice. I'm paraphrasing the rule book, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it seems as though player safety and the officials on the ice viewed this one quite differently. They did. And remember, we're looking at it two separate ways. So the officials on the ice that make the initial call for that game, we had Eric Furlat, Trevor Hansen. They're the ones who make the initial call. They're the ones who review it. And they're the ones who decide whether to sustain that penalty or reduce it or, or wipe it out completely. I should add that the situation room has no bearing on the penalty reduction piece. That's entirely the on-ice officials. Then you get player safety, an entirely different room, different group of people looking at the play to decide if there should be supplemental discipline. And it's clear that they felt this was worth more than a minor penalty because of the one game suspension. And as you mentioned, they don't consider what happens on ice. If there was a major penalty or a minor penalty, player safety would render the same verdict either way. But with them coming down with that one game ban, it makes me feel like player safety and the officials aren't necessarily on the same page when it comes to these types of hits either. Now that we have the opportunity for the officials to review it. When it was a real-time call, I could understand it, but you know, we're we're looking at the same hit, two different groups reviewing it, two league organizations, the officials and the player safety taking a look and and coming to a different result on one thinking it's a minor penalty and one handing out a one-game suspension. And Todd, I could have gone for two. I could have gone for two games on this one. I'm with you. I could understand two games there. And yes, I think that's a good illustration of we got to try to get everybody on the same page and understanding what is and what isn't a penalty. There's another game situation that didn't get anybody's attention except yours. And you had a post (laughs) up on the website about it. The Panthers and Bruins game five, Dmitry Orlov appears to get away with a slew foot on Sam Bennett. The evidence here is quite compelling. Yeah, thanks to Tough Call for pointing that one out. That's a textbook slew foot behind the net. We've got that upward body pulling backward. We've got the feet getting kicked out by Orlov as the puck's going around the boards. I could have seen a tripping minor. I could have seen an an interference minor because the puck had gone past by then. But I want to know from player safety is why we didn't see a fine for this one. If the officials missed it, fine. I'll give them a pass. But player safety, keeping those eyes out for every situation and looking for those opportunities to address things. I think this was a perfect opportunity for a fine. I think Orlov deserved one on the play. Slewfoot is a, a dangerous situation, so I was surprised to not see any financial penalty coming his way. Yes, um, surprised is one word, yes. Okay, <laughs> I, w- I want to finish up with another one. This one involving uh, Toronto and Tampa once again. Pat Maroon of the Bulls hits the Leafs defenseman Mark Giordano into the boards. And I'm watching the game, I'm thinking, okay, 
It's straight into the numbers. It's not the worst hit I've ever seen, but absolutely 100%. This is a penalty to me. I think Kyle Raymond and Jean Hébert viewed this a little bit differently. There was some discussion afterwards and Maroon ended up with a penalty, but not the one I was expecting. No, and not one for the hit at all. It was a little puzzling. If you watch the hit, Raymond's right on top of it. I mean, he's moving away from the boards to clear space for the hit to take place. And he puts his hands out like, I got nothing here, which he did. The other referee, Jean Hébert, put his arm up on the play, but they talked about it. No call for that hit, which to me was at minimum a minor penalty for boarding on the play because it was a clear hit through the numbers. Thought for sure it would get called. You don't want to set the tone. You've got less than a second left in the second period. It's a one goal game. You want to keep things from getting nasty out there. You hit him with that, which looked pretty obvious to me, but no call on the play. And as you mentioned, the penalty came for roughing in the resulting scrum because of that nasty hit. So I thought for sure he was going to the box for the hit and the rough, but I was wrong, Todd. There were many that disagreed with us that this was a penalty, including some of the broadcasters who said, well, this, you know, it's the playoffs. You got to it's this is a hit. But it again falls back to if it's a penalty in the regular season, it's a penalty in the playoffs. I don't think the standard changes. And I and again, this is the the difficulty. We all need to understand what exactly is and isn't a penalty. And I I like your thought, too, of cleaning up the, the legal document that is the NHL rulebook. Well, absolutely. And you look at a play like this and you're looking at the boarding rule. Do we have a situation where Giordano turns his body because he's moving the puck and that results in Maroon not hitting him through the numbers? Well, that doesn't absolve Maroon of the onus to make a legal body check. You know, if Giordano protects the puck along the boards, that's clearly right across the numbers, right into the glass boarding. So was him moving the puck up the boards and turning slightly enough for Raymond to say this wasn't a hit from behind? This was a hit to the shoulder? And if so, should it have been? I think that's that's where it starts to get confusing. That's where you look at the rule book. You're picking things apart. But remember, real-time judgment call, and this is not a play that they're reviewing. So this is on the ice. This is Kyle Raymond from about six feet away making that call. We'll see what happens going forward. But uh, clearly, everybody's uh, following along fine, and there won't be any other officiating controversies. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.